0: Welcome to Able Active Moms. Jeremy Brown and his guests are here to help the struggling moms better understand and manage their time for personal health. Now here's Jeremy.
1: Hi, and welcome back again this week. Today we have with us on the show, Dr. Sheila Dugan, a chairperson of physical medicine and rehabilitation at Rush Medical Ed- Education Center. Sheila, welcome hi thank you absolutely thank you um it is so wonderful to have you on the show today sharing your expertise we're actually going to be talking about um the kind of designation of of midlife and women's health in midlife and what we are learning about it through science and research but before we get too much into that um physical medicine and rehabilitation is not something PMNR or physiatry is not something that people know too much about. and In fact, I, I end up educating my clients on it often because I think it is of such enormous value. So please share with us, what, what's your background? What is it you do?
2: Well, thank you, because I do think we are the hidden specialty. So as most of you know, uh, we do four years of medical education and then choose a direction for our specialty, surgery, internal medicine, obstetrics and gynecology, in my case, physical medicine and rehabilitation. This is a four-year training program after medical school where we learn um, to become excellent clinical diagnosticians related to musculoskeletal, orthopedic, neurological problems. And the aim of our residency is to teach us to be doctors of function. Um, And I also think to teach us to see people as they are with with certain diagnoses rather than to label folks as a diagnosis so how does a particular issue uh, show up with a performance problem with pain with inability to do the things you need to do at work at home for your vocation for your sport for your musical endeavors etc so we are trained um in our First year, we do a general year of internal medicine. I did mine at the University of Chicago. Uh, and then mm-hmm. we do three years of physical medicine and rehab, in which the first of those three years, we spend time in the rehab hospital. So we take care of people with what I'll call classical disabilities that cause hospitalization. Things like stroke, spinal cord injury, amputees, um, More recently, people that have had uh, solid organ transplants get very ill in the hospital and come to inpatient rehab. Uh, Mm -hmm. People in their cancer journey, many of which become very debilitated and need inpatient rehab. And then in our third um, or our second year of those three years of rehab, which is our third year of training, we focus more on outpatient care and get into more um, non-operative orthopedic uh, sports medicine pain management care. Um, And then in our last year, we do um, specialty rotations if we're interested in doing things uh, in particular populations. So uh, a PM&R a doctor, a physiatrist might work with children, with seniors, with um, particular diagnoses more into the neurological ring, uh, realm, or uh, like myself, in the musculoskeletal side of the house. Um, that really started with a lot of co-managing of patients with spine and orthopedic surgeons that really didn't need surgery, but in the last decade I've really worked a lot with organ doctors who are taking care of folks that present with abdominal pain, difficulty urinating, defecating, having pain with intimacy. And the organ doctors do a lot of testing to look for organ-based disorders that they can rule in or rule out, but many times it's the functional problems, the pain. Uh, the trouble with um, urinating and all that become large problems with people's quality of life and their ability to take care of themselves and their families. So um, I've been working alongside colorectal surgeons and gynecologists and urologists to really bring that PM&R or physiatry perspective of the whole human being who has issues with their function, which is impacting their quality of life. And how does the orthopedic neurological system really become uh, an active player in these problems. So it's a great specialty. Uh, We have lots of interest from our young medical students these days because it is so uh, rewarding and so much in that integrative space.
1: That's just fantastic. It, It has to be rewarding because in a medical system where there's more and more specialization and you start to look at a tree versus a forest and you get like focused in on even maybe a leaf, you start to lose maybe perspective of a person in general. And I think people feel that in medicine a lot that they understand maybe that what's going on in their bodies is related to more their whole picture in their life and their day-to-day activities and their diet. And they're only getting feedback often on one specific thing, but that means you have to take in and process an enormous amount of information and be well-versed on an enormous amount of information yeah, which is i, think, I guess yeah. why specialization think, comes into play
2: well as i say to jeremy i think there's a combination of um, being practical and being very knowledgeable so sometimes it's practical things that are the the way to make a difference in the day-to-day way that you're feeling the disorder that you're having um And I also need to work with my partners, so I can't know everything about every patient, and it's really important to understand who did they um, come from, who who referred them, what kind of testing have they had, or if that hasn't happened, is there something that in particular I need to send them back to, let's say their Mm -hmm. gynecologist to get um, particular testing, I'll say an ultrasound of um, of their organs. So Sometimes it can feel like, why do I need to go to this other doctor to get this particular test or this particular medicine? But really, there is so much to know that we kind of all have to feel like we can be up to date in our areas and that we can lean on our colleagues, which is another joy of my practice. I work in an institution where we really do speak to each other quite a bit. And especially when it comes to abdominal and pelvic health, we need to speak to each other um, to you know, get the best outcome for our patients.
1: You really have to be a team for that.
2: Absolutely, Uh, including, uh, as you know, um, physical therapists. I actually was a physical therapist before I went back to medical school, which is another real blessing to be able to um, have incredible training around uh, palpating muscles and understanding muscle function, understanding compensatory patterns. So for me, that's been a great way to um, move forward in my practice of of healing and, and of health.
1: That certainly evolved you to where you are today. Yes. (laughs) Due to that. And I would think that in a population where we're supporting uh, more and more supporting an aging population and people are living longer and and living better lives longer, that your specialization is only growing and becoming more impactful on people's day-to-day lives.
2: Absolutely, and to take it back to your start, you know, I'm working with the able, active mom at whatever age she is and whoever her children are, be there children that she birthed or children that she works with or takes care of. And uh, sure, the expectation is to lean into um, health and activity. Um, and there are things that are happening as we age that are taking us in another direction. Um, and there are things that we do when we're in our 20s that really impact what's happening with our let's say bones or joints in our 50s or 60s. So um, the lifespan perspective is really important. And there's things that start to decline, but if they start at a higher level, for instance, your bone mineral density, and you're gonna get that decline after menopause, if you really build it to a point where having a decline does not put you into an osteopenic or osteoporotic range, it's really meaningful for like reducing your risk of a fracture with a fall as an example.
1: Yeah. So that gets us right into today's topic, which is midlife health. And so if we're looking at this sort of full life spectrum of health, hopefully mothers, my goal is mothers start to parents, caretakers start to um, inspire their children to be more active. And that leads to a more active adult. But if these people also are more active within their own lives, how does that carry them through to midlife? And then what? can you, ex- what is midlife? What can we expect out of it? And how is this a transition period to carry us in the most positive way to the next phase? So what's our, what are our parameters for midlife? What are we, what are we talking here?
2: Yeah, I think until I, you know, become midlife, I was very, oh, midlife, what are you talking about? And, and in preparation for just now, I went on and, you know, the, the Seattle Midlife Study of Women's Health says, you know, 45 to 65 is midlife, or excuse me, 40 to 65. Another study said 45 to 55. Um, I think that, again, as we evolve to think about people and not diagnoses, that, um, you know, for me in my career, you know, women have, you know, when they're younger, they have menstruation. That causes pain. There was some work in sports medicine around, uh, you know, the frequency of ACL tear, so that sort of the younger athlete had her place in the in, in medical care and prevention. And then you have sort of the time when you're bearing children, which has its own issues with mm-hmm. carrying a child, delivering a child. And so then we think about older women and seniors and falls and fractures. And I think everything in between that uh, falls into this other place, <laughs> this midlife, where we are literally in a place where hopefully we have more control over our time we have, hopefully, again, many of us of privilege with you know higher education, um, have time and um, money on our hands to do things for ourselves, um, such as joining you know a gym or working with a trainer or signing up for classes, um, and we may have the capacity to better control what we're eating since we're not sort of trying to serve up food for our young children and eating whatever scraps are um, on the on the table. I actually saw a woman this morning who I believe was walking her elementary school child into McDonald's and I figured daughter was not going to eat so mom said let's grab some food and (laughs) get on our way but I didn't have time to pull over and ask. So (laughs) I've I've been in that place where you're just trying to get everybody's needs met in whatever way you can and so midlife I hope is a time when the children are more launched. You um, maybe are in a place in your career where you feel like you don't have to run around and put out fires all the time and you really can, you know, focus some attention back on yourself. I mean, I think the other thing that happens in midlife is that your parents start to age. And many of my friends, um, are, are taking care of aging parents, which again, sometimes means another part of the country. So it's a little harder than managing your elementary school child who's right in your, in your home. <laughs> um, so, uh, it's also a time to, uh, start thinking about your own aging, as you see your parents age, and to really think about what can I do now that will really make a difference to me um, as I go to the next stage of, you know, being a older person, older adult, a senior citizen. So yeah. I think for me, midlife is a really exciting moment. And the largest thing that happens to women is something called the menopause,
1: <laughs>
2: which has its own set of, you know, physiological changes.
1: Yeah, and. And those physiological changes can be managed in ways that help, again, to transition better into a later life if you're kind of aware of what's going on and aware of the changes that are happening and you're proactive in what you're doing. It's interesting, uh, you've already mentioned today two of the shows that we're going to have on later, one of them about actually um, bone health and the lifespan of bone health. And one of them is um, advocating and caretaking for other people in your life. Cause I think these are both like massive topics. How do we, how do we take care of ourselves and caretake for others? And, um, but, um, <clears throat> so what shifts, what shifts do start to happen in menopause? What, what changes happen? How physiologically does that ch- ch- shift in the body? What are we talking about?
2: Yeah. So, so menopause is, Diagnosed, or sorry, menopause is completed when it's been 12 months since your last menstrual cycle. So that's sort of menopause. However, the path to that last menstrual cycle can be divided into early and late perimenopause when your cycle starts to change. Um, and during that part of, of the lifespan, there are things that already begin to happen. Um, some of those are felt la- uh, at the moment of, um, of the change, like hot flashes um, night sweats, and women have different uh, experiences of early and, and late menopause, but these can be very disruptive. You can imagine if you're having uh, difficulty sleeping. Um, you probably have done a talk on sleep, Jeremy, where <laughs> sleep is such an important part of you know getting into REM sleep to relax your muscle to repair some of the micro injury that we do all day long. It's also really important to kind of get your psyche. Uh, back to a more blank slate for the next day. Um, mm-hmm. So some of those physiological changes can have lots of other ramifications to your feeling of, of being you know, well and healthy. Um, we also have noticeable changes to our bones. So we, I did mention the term osteopenia, osteoporosis, which means that some of the proactive bone development um, effects of estrogen are starting to wane. Um, And then there's also my favorite, which is not talked about is sarcopenia, where you actually lose muscle mass, which is so important. And because it doesn't necessarily relate to a fracture and morbidity and mortality, um, we don't talk about muscle changes. Um, So that's an important thing that we can talk some more about in particular. If you haven't been able to have the time or space or interest in doing some weight lifting, body using your own body weight, using cords, using light hand weights, uh, it's really important to do so, especially when you're starting to lose muscle mass.
1: Yes, lose muscle mass and lose bone mass, and both of those things can be focused on with the same with this with the same um, with the same goodness, with the same <laughs> thing, fitness exercises, loaded right, right. loaded body weight exercises. Um because as we lose muscle mass, of course, we lose function. And as we lose function, then um, we start to be less active. And as we're less active, we're opening up ourselves to greater disability later in life.
2: Again. Yes, or you have a condition like diabetes or hypertension where you really need to be active. To really manage your disorder and you are no longer left with that option if you start to have major painful episodes because of your muscle weakness or a fracture so the you know interrelatedness of being physically active and managing disease is really an important and crucial thing because as we get older we tend to accumulate some of these chronic conditions um, that you can't always modify Um, so it's also important to think about that as a a way for people to manage their diseases um
1: yeah D- diseases that can be managed in day-to-day life and managed very well actually um if if you just modify your activity levels and modify your diet, modify your daily habits. Not that it is easy to modify or change daily habits in any way.
2: <laughs> That's a whole uh, podcast of itself.
1: It's <laughs> and, Behavior
2: change. Ah.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, as someone entering in, someone in midlife, um, I am trying to modify my behaviors to <laughs> have a greater and healthier later life. And um, it's challenging. Even given the fact that I probably do have more time and resources, it's still challenging. And um, I mean, hopefully these, everyone does have everyone does have the privilege of having maybe more time and greater resources and maybe children that were around. And now there's a little more free time for you than there was before. Um, but uh, we are actually going to take a quick break and um, we will be back right after to keep talking women's health midlife. And maybe start to talk about this SWAN study, study of women's health across the nation um, that's been coming up. So keep listening in and we'll be back in just a minute.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. MoveEd is a new exercise system developed from the latest in science and designed to help you feel your body in a whole new way. Offering free online videos, live online exercise classes, and wellness tips and ideas on social media. MoveEd has options to help everyone feel and move better. Check us out today and start your new journey into physical health. All access, all
1: the time. Connect with us, and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. Your life,
3: your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: Welcome back to Able Active Moms. Have a question for Jeremy or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now back to the show.
1: Welcome back. And thank you for continuing to listen in today. We are talking today with Dr. Sheila Dugan um, of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation, the Physiatry Specialty. And we're talking about um, women's health in midlife, um, which we are very lucky to have an enormous amount of information on now, due to a study that was started back in 1994, I believe, called um, "Study of Women's Health Across, Across the Nation," the SWAN study, um, which I know is a a piece of great interest to you, Sheila. It is.
2: Yeah, I've been. Uh... I've been working on a study in the role of a co-investigator since uh, I started at Rush about 20 years ago. And, uh, just to give a little background, this is a, what's called an epidemiological study. So in an epidemiological study, you are able to make associations between like say an exposure to something and then an outcome. And you can't always know exactly why this is happening. So for instance, you wouldn't have a blood test. You would just say people that have high blood pressure tend to end up with uh, reduced exercise. I'm, yeah. I'm making this up. Yeah.
1: So um, we see correlation, yeah. not causality.
2: Exactly. And so a lot of the uh, conclusions we make say, you know, in the future we should look at um, causality, and these are some, you know, directions to think about. So the study was purposely started by seven different sites with different co-investigators, many of whom have different strong interests. So someone who's interested in cardiovascular health or someone who's interested in bone health or someone who's interested in the impact of sleep or the impact of anxiety, um, et cetera. So as an investigator, you get to go to this wonderful data set that um, allows you to take a look at, again, mm, BMI, uh, blood pressure, medication use, even things like daily discrimination. Uh, are, are women in the study discriminated against? If so, what do they think it's based on? Uh, their race, their gender, their body uh, their body weight, etc. cetera. Uh, and the list goes on and on. So myself as a physical medicine or rehabilitation provider who is managing people with pain, with loss of function, with uh, lack of physical activity, I can take a look at the correlation between, let's say, um, if you have urinary incontinence, will it predict that you're going to have a loss of your function? So you might think, well, huh, why would you look in that direction? Because you could also look in the other direction that says, if you have a problem that causes you a functional decline, does it lead to urinary incontinence? So that, I think, is sort of a medical model. Yeah, if Mm -hmm. you've had a stroke or you have MS, you may end up with urinary incontinence if you had a difficult delivery and you had some sort of injury to your pelvic floor. But I was interested in, if I'm in midlife and I have urinary incontinence, should I just think, "Eh, it's not a big deal. I have urinary incontinence. It doesn't have any ramifications. Um, I wanted to see, is it associated with a different functional status? So there's something called the World Health Organization Disability uh, Scale. Um, And I was able to Take a look at urinary incontinence and see how it predicted your scores on the World Health Organization Disability Scale, the HUDAS. And it turns out that the amount of incontinence and the frequency of it do or are correlated with the amount of disability that you have. Which says to me that practitioners that tell you, you know, you're in midlife, you've had a child or two and you have some leakage, you know, don't worry about it. That's just not an acceptable statement that there is a correlation of incontinence that uh, can relate to loss of function, which of course is something that any of us would want to prevent. So that's, uh, Jeremy, one example of how you can look at the SWAN data to try to understand better uh, women, you know, uh, going across the midlife and what sort of things could be um, you know, minds or or problems or barriers for them in their desire for a full, active, pain-free, functional
1: life. Yeah, because of course, something like urinary incontinence is going to affect what you choose to do as a physical activity. It's going to affect how you interact with people. You're going to be less likely to do some things with your social group than others. And I think it's a great point. It's a great um, specific issue to bring up because it is if if it if it came from a difficult delivery and you're experiencing it midlife it is such an easy thing to treat actually as well and to manage
2: and better um, done at the time of your delivery right so in many countries <laughs> yes. everybody that delivers goes for a uh, assessment of their pelvic floor uh, because those muscles have just you know done a, a yeoman's work or yo woman's work <laughs> carrying a growing fetus and then have to then relax and uh, allow for labor and delivery. Um, And things are done in labor and delivery that, you know, our sutures or lacerations are repaired. um, And not every pelvic floor is going to be able to recover in the same way. So knowing at your six week checkup, is this woman actively contracting her pelvic floor? Is there pain with uh, the site of the sutures? Is she describing incontinence right now? And then you know, keeping track of that and sending people for an assessment and care. I know you've had others on your show already that are pelvic floor physical therapists who are incredible teammates in the, um, in the need to evaluate and treat. And there are times that we meet women in midlife who have never heard about their pelvic floor, have had symptoms, have not had the right kind of assessment, and oftentimes are given a few tests a urinalysis, um, you know, maybe ultrasound, um ultrasound and then told, you know, there's nothing we can do about this, which is a very non-functional approach. Because if you rule out some diagnoses with these tests, it's not an infection. Well, that's terrific. But what is it? And how can I meet the, the person where they're at and understand how it's impacting her and then make a plan to um, change things?
1: And when we see the correlation between this and later life disabilities, which are going to greatly impact quality of life down the road, and greatly impact the cost of health in the medical system, um, it always it always leads back to why not make more proactive changes earlier in life. Um, as far as disabilities, what 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 is that even? What's the spectrum of disabilities that the who covers.
2: Yeah. And and I I, I do think that you make a nice point, Jeremy, that these things left untended in midlife will lead to catastrophic problems. So for instance, if you're hurrying to the bathroom because you have a history of incontinence or urge incontinence, where you, the minute you think I have to go, you have to be at the toilet. That is a setup for falling and breaking your hip, which has a huge morbidity and mortality and not to frighten any of us, but I'm sure we all know somebody in our family or in our community who's suffered a hip fracture, and and that is not always an easy thing to rehab through. So there are things like that. There's also a higher risk of um, infection. You can have something called prolapse, where the tissue actually will start to come out through the vagina, which can, again, cause pain, inability to empty your bladder, um, the need for surgery. But in, in, in the HUDAS, we also take a look at just are you participating in society? Are you communicating mm-hmm. well with others? So, these other sort of larger scale uh, biopsychosocial things that happen when we start having things like urinary incontinence, fecal incontinence, you know, chronic pain, they really do rob us being, of being part of a community. And then that can feed into things like becoming depressed or anxious. And then you see how the problems become cumulative.
1: Yeah. Mental and emotional health gets drawn into the picture and things start to get even more complicated and impactful.
2: Right. And sometimes you show up with all that baggage and the practitioner wants to stay in their lane and do their test and tell you your test came back normal, which then somehow makes you as the patient feel like, well, wait a minute. Like, what do I do? And the door is closing and you're saying, but, 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 but. And 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 just to circle back, that's, I think, back to the role of the physical medicine or rehab provider to say, let's figure out, tell me more about what it feels like. Tell me more about how your function is changing. And then on physical exam, let me, you know, show me, can you do this lift? Can we press here? Can we close this, you know, put pressure on this joint? Does that make you feel better or feel worse? So there's a really important kind of hands-on examination that then leads us to you know, let's address your urinary incontinence as an example, because you have weak muscles. And how do I know they're weak? Because I just tested your muscles. (laughs) Uh, And it's really important for us to sort of explain to you in the office, this is what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, because otherwise, um, how are you to know where is this going, right? And other people can feel very um, invaded by testing and all when it's not well described.
1: Yeah, when it's not presented as you gathering important information to have a fuller picture of this person's whole health, right? right. Um, but I guess that in itself, that brings up an important point for one of the things you can proactively do in midlife in a in a medical system which is more and more highly specialized, which is in a way wonderful because it means that we have better and better treatments for specific things. Um, it's easy to have that door close on you and feel sort of lost, like, oh, you go home and you, well, they say nothing's wrong with me. And yet, clearly, you feel like something's wrong with you, things are not the same as they were. And so, I think it's an important thing to note that there are more resources out there, that that, that, that answer doesn't mean, that means that the person the specialist that you went to gave you a specific test and that that is fine but not the whole picture and and to keep reaching out for different resources to help find someone who will look at you more as a whole and try to put together the puzzle pieces um absolutely
2: because... absolutely and in midlife there's a lot more pieces that have been <laughs> découpaged into our <laughs> into our bodies right um yeah. So it, it, does, it does take time and listening and, and it is important to go back through a health history and it is important to take a look at imaging other doctors have sent to say, well, of course you have a, a disc that's degenerated at L4-5 because, you know, you're 60 and you have your hair is losing its color, your disc is losing its height. And so that's a given, but I don't believe that's causing your problem because I just examined you. I, I did maneuvers to unload and load your disc as an example. So I think that's an incidental finding because the other thing that happens in medical care is you're left with this folder of tests that are done and then people tell you, you know, none of the tests are leading us to a definitive treatment um, or they offer you things and they say, I'm not sure it's going to help, but you feel compelled to go down the path. And sometimes that ends up with, you know, adding to your symptomatology. Now, I, I must give you a disclaimer as the rehab doctor, I do see the people that don't do well, right? The 99% that went home, (laughs) don't come by my door. It's the one where the doctor calls and says, oh, Sheila, can you take a look at this person? Because, you know, she had her colonoscopy and ever since then she's having horrible rectal pain and I don't know why. And I say, okay, I'm happy to see the patient and let's try to understand what could be the pain generator for her rectal pain because the person doing the colonoscopy was interested in your colon and not... The muscles, the nerves, the joints around it, the experience of the test, the idea that things we do are really um, can be very traumatic. So so Mm -hmm. again, I feel like we're going down this path, Jeremy, of, of sort of tough stuff and bad news. But I also just want to for a moment bring in the fact that we all have traumatic lives, sometimes literally trauma to our genitals from sexual trauma. We have trauma from the way we're treated difficult deliveries, cancer care, it's very traumatic, surgery, radiation. So um, we have to take that into account as well and understand how multiple testing in a very traumatized area comes back normal. But now you're thinking, why am I feeling worse? Because the experience of it, the way your muscles are responding uh, are very much in keeping with your life experience. Um, So it's another piece of finding a provider that is listening to you is understanding you is asking you is this okay with you to, to continue with our our exam and even as i'm talking about this to the audience if this triggers something for people you know please follow up and get some care because um, you know life is 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 traumatic um, and there's again more that we can do uh, with people that have ptsd um, sexual assault medical trauma um so i will um i will let you take us back off of that place jeremy <laughs> thank you
1: <laughs> but, but that's a wonderful place to go to but, I and mean, it, it is a wonderful point to make um because there is so much there can be so much trauma stored in us physically and so much physical manifestation of trauma and that can be a a a, a spiral that someone gets caught into
2: Yeah. And in midlife, you just may have a moment to catch a breath and it comes out because you're not sort of running like mad on the on the wheel of like, you know, work, life, um, children. And so then you have a moment and there's a whisper. And so, you know, I guess my 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 point is, um, you know, lean into that, get help, talk to people. um, And we know that there's a chronic shortage of behavioral health providers. And again, um, behavioral health is not just done in a shrink's office. Uh, there's lots of things that, you know, we can do using um, progressive relaxation and other other ways to, uh, you know, get into that space and start to change uh, what your muscles are doing as an example because you're feeling overwhelmed or anxious.
1: Yeah, and there are a lot of uh, physical tools and to you at your disposal to actually manage that um, breathing, exercise, moving more, all of these things actually can be useful tools to manage symptoms of trauma. Yes. Actually, we're assessing that, Um, though, I mean, certainly that's a case by case thing and something that neither one of us are exactly the experts in. Um, We would, I'm sure I I would always refer something like that out. midlife's an interesting point too. It's uh it's a time that I we didn't talk about this, but I'm sure you would agree. I see that there is a much greater discrepancy or a much greater span of health outcomes and fitness levels at this point, more so than say 20s to 30s. As you start to get into 40s, 50s, and 60s, there can be an enormous difference between one 50-year-old and another 50-year-old, depending on what has been layered upon them from through their lives um, in a sense of injuries, accidents, trauma, activity levels, diet. So,
2: yeah, work, work, you know, what, what kind of work have they done? What position have they been in? Have they traveled a lot? Have they worked locally? Um, Absolutely. And then you intersect skeletal changes of aging uh, with, some sort of you know behavior. I mean, let's layer in two years of, of COVID. and <laughs> <Let's laughs> Talk about things that show up in both of our offices, right? Uh, yeah. Absolutely cumulative.
1: Yeah, because people's lives have changed enormously, um, and there's thankfully a lot of data being gathered on all of that. And we will have some really interesting findings in a decade or so about how impactful the shift in people's daily life activity has been. Um, well, we are going to take just a moment at that point and um, we will be back after a short break to continue talking um, about midlife in this kind of midlife transition period. So keep listening.
3: us on twitter at voice TRN. get the lowdown on guests new shows and your favorites that's voice america trn move ed is a new exercise system developed from the latest in science and designed to help you feel your body in a whole new way offering free online videos live online exercise classes, and wellness tips and ideas on social media. Move Ed has options to help everyone feel and move better. Check us out today and start your new journey into physical health.
0: Welcome back to Able Active Moms. Have a question for Jeremy or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now back to the show.
1: Hi, welcome back. Um, Right before the break, we were talking about sort of this bigger picture of midlife health and how variant that can be based on someone's life leading up to that point. And so we end up with a lot of potentially different issues to manage and and people are bringing in every person brings in a whole different person into this moment and needs to start making changes like, okay, I'm going to assess, I'm going to kind of evaluate where I am, I'm going to try to pick a goal and uh, based on what seems to be, you know, the top of my issues and start to work at that. So I guess uh, one major issue seems to be osteopenia or osteoporosis, osteopenia being the precursor to osteoporosis, slight bone loss leading to a more more impactful bone loss, um, and maybe issues related with that, like um, kyphosis, which is an, uh, uh, an over-rounding of the thoracic spine, um, which is often exacerbated by our lives, tending to... Forward into computers and cars and televisions and such. So, what do we have for people, like as everyday tools, to start to make changes so that they can? St- yeah,
2: great. They come with that desire. They leave a call here. They think, oh, i have midlife. I've got to do something, or I've got to call my mom or call my friend. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so you think, oh, I want to think about my bone density. So I'm going to do some weight-bearing exercise, uh, which is a nice concept. But then suddenly your back starts to hurt. So it mm-hmm. may be that that person that you brought to that moment to do more for your midlife now has some skeletal changes, some muscle tension. So um, taking that rounded body and jumping up and down on a, in a class or you know, walking briskly, can start to cause pain because the alignment is off. So, probably starting with some stretching uh, is really a nice thing to do. And maybe even things like laying over what's called a foam roller, which is a three foot long, six foot, six inch diameter, pretty firm white foam roller that you can literally lay uh, over uh, in the direction of the roller up and down along your spine and start to open up. The skeleton, uh, make it more extended or straighter, and then start to loosen up things like your pectoralis muscles, which are those big, strong muscles that are on the front of the body. Um, Because until we can put the skeleton in a better alignment, it could become a problem to try to strengthen it in that uh, compensatory position. So uh, appreciate the energy that you want to get at your cardiovascular exercise, your weight bearing exercise but knowing that if we can maximize your posture, we're gonna minimize hopefully the, the um, possibility of having a musculoskeletal problem, which really puts you back down, <laughs> which is opposite of what you really were looking for with your, with your movement um, towards activity.
1: Yeah, because you can be more predisposed as you, as you load a system like that, you can be more predisposed to shoulder issues, spinal, excuse me, spinal issues, uh, neck, lower back, hip, all of those things can actually, because all of those things are now bearing greater load because muscles are not supporting you or the tissue is not supporting you the way you'd like. Um, So, if if you think of a foam roller just being a nice long straight line and you are trapped in a rounded line, Uh stuck in a rounded line, if you just lay your spine flat out on that and open your arms up to the side and take a break and relax and breathe and let yourself start to settle back into maybe a shape that you started in, however many years ago, a couple Uh of years ago. And uh, that can be just a precursor to, or, or, or a a regular part of your daily self-care. Maybe that's an important thing to have in this, this idea of like building a Building a toolkit of daily self-care—that's one of the things I really try to give to clients. And and the 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 luxury that they have is they have someone specifically giving them things for them. But you, in general, find that I give almost everyone the same things. Like yeah, as, as I do agree. You.
2: Yeah, if you even thought about the physical tools that you would want someone to have, like a foam roller, maybe some sort of way to then mobilize the muscles of their extremities, be that mm-hmm. a a ball that has bumps on it, or it's a hard like a lacrosse ball, um, something like that, or even your your um, rolling pin from the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we like to take household items and make those part of the way that you can um, help yourself. There's also things like modality. So ice is a, um, is a good painkiller. It reduces inflammation versus heat, which is a great muscle relaxant and brings blood flow. Um, so there's times when, some people feel that ice is more helpful and heats more. And other times, heat's more helpful. I I, I always tell patients I just wouldn't heat something that you just injured where there's lots of inflammatory cells racing to the ankle. Let's say you just sprained your ankle, and if you heat it in that first 24, 48 hours, you're going to kind of double the amount of swelling. I would avoid heat, but after the 24, 48 hours, there's really heat and ice both have nice. Um, Um, side effects that you're using to help with your pain or your immobility and and really reducing the amount of inflammation you have early on can also help you get through uh, musculoskeletal injury in in a much quicker way
1: and and yeah that can just be sort of whatever of those things feels best to your system right whichever one you gravitate to more and um it's interesting that I The, um, this idea of self-care and, and, and building sort of a toolkit, uh, I think often people, especially for women, you go through pregnancy and those can have impactful changes because of the shift in your body weight and the shift in your tissue, you can have impactful changes to your feet as well and starting to take better care of your feet and maybe get better orthotic support better shoe support take the rolling put the rolling pin on the floor and roll your foot back across that um i have people rummage through your house and find a belt from your bathrobe or a belt and you can use that to help stretch your hips and shoulders you know, just lay on the ground and loop a belt around your foot and pull your leg up into the air and hold it there and try to relax into these positions. Um, yeah, Absolutely.
2: <laughs> and if things like sounds terribly painful to roll over a roller or a rolling pin or a, a golf ball into your foot if you have plantar fasciitis, you can ice first. Because as I mentioned, ice is a good painkiller. It's an sure. anesthetic. So I always tell people ice and then as you thaw out, and it becomes more uncomfortable you can have your three minutes of rolling and now you can check that box on your self-care for the day
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is the other thing I wanted to mention and things slip out of my head more than they used to oh, that's Good uh, 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 mid
2: are we talking midlife go ahead <laughs> <laughs>
1: midlife. Uh, pain pain is a pain is a major thing that I try to get through with people because midlife it wouldn't Certainly when you are young, the experience of exercising and what happens ex- after exercise is very different than what happens exercising later, later in life, carrying more issues into things. Um, pain happening when you exercise, pain happening when you put pressure onto things. I rolled out things and it, ouch, it hurts. And then maybe I feel more pain after I exercise. So maybe there's an importance in normalizing some pain and and understanding what's the difference between this is okay and I kind of have to deal with this and it's temporary or transitional. And then this is a pain that I should probably go and talk to someone about.
2: Absolutely. Yes. And I was just thinking back to, I think my first one paper was about menopause and pain. And it did seem that during the transition, there were more pain complaints. These again were epidemiological studies where women came in and answered questions every year. And so um, that might also be a new time to think, well, this never hurt before. What is that all about? And some of that can be this kind of transitory hormonal uh, based issue that you're having. But back to sort of generally pain is there to alert the brain that there's something wrong. There's some tissue injury. There's some kind of damage. (coughs) Pardon me. Um, That's what we're uh, accustomed to. That's what we're rated to, to something hurts, uh oh, something's wrong. I better get care. I better stop moving. And that's not always the case, especially when you're trying to get active again. So, even this idea of laying over the foam roller I mentioned before, <clears throat> that might be a place that your muscles have not been in a really long time, that your shoulder blades are actually coming towards each other. Your shoulders are back, your pec muscles are moving in a way that they haven't done for maybe before you had that baby <laughs> a couple decades ago, even. So um, a little bit of pain is, ex- is acceptable, is expected. Um, pain that lasts more than a couple of days, pain that's associated with a fall or a big bruise or um, bony tenderness is different than muscle tenderness when we're talking about pain or an early stress fracture. Um, so yes, not all pain is the same. Some pain would be uh expected with an increase in physical activity but something that happens with a trauma like a fall um or uh a bruising because now something's been torn that's the kind of um uh experience you want to bring to your doctor's office
1: yeah so you want to be be aware of your pain excuse me but don't let it necessarily dictate what you do because yeah You. Put someone in, I often put people in uncomfortable situations, which can be as simple as, yes, laying down on a foam roller and then they get real panicky and I say, all right, we're going to, okay, we're going to acknowledge what's going on. We're going to try to breathe. Um, We actually have a mutual acquaintance and I always say that's that whatever's happening right there, that's not breathing. We're going to keep trying to breathe. That's not breathing. I don't call that breathing. You know, I don't call that breathing slow, easy breaths. And then after we're there for about 30 seconds, what's happening? Oh, well, it's changed. Okay, great. See, so that's okay. And then that can happen within exercise too. You know, don't immediately bail out, maybe give it a couple of repetitions, see if things change. Um, See if it shifts. If it doesn't, I am not a push through pain. I'm not a no pain, no gain person, certainly not in midlife or going into later life. You know, you, you do want to be really aware of of what's going on and 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 be very proactive with issues, but also not letting. Yeah, it's a time when we do feel more pain. It is. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. and that's what I hear from all of my friends more than anything. I'm sick of getting all I hurt when I get up in the morning. I hurt when I go to bed at night. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah, but if you don't do anything, you're going to hurt more, and the long term outcomes are going to be much more severe.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's the message. I think we're on a we're on a pathway, and if we just let gravity. And age-related changes have their way with us, we will end up with less function, we'll have more pain, we'll have the inability to do the things that we really want to do. And so being really purposeful and intentional in this part of our lives, to give ourselves some time, give ourselves some grace. You know, you don't have to get everything done. You're not gonna do five changes. You're gonna pick one thing and see if you can get that to be part of your toolbox or your your daily routine. Um, And give yourself some time to adopt to that and then maybe add in the second thing. Um, So we've talked about flexibility. We've talked a bit about strengthening, about loading our bones. We might also want to think about balance. We don't have time for Mm -hmm. that with our last few minutes here. But as we age, we also have less sort of instantaneous feedback from our peripheral nervous system to our central nervous system. And so balance is really important because of the risk of falling. Um, and then the fear that it brings when you have a near fall. So, um, so giving yourself experiences with support, you know, where you're balancing on one leg and you're near piece of heavy piece of furniture at home or the wall or the, you know, the kitchen sink. Um, and you can do these things during your daily activities as part of that toolkit again. Right, Jeremy? <laughs>
1: yeah, that's absolutely what I encourage Yeah, Just start. We st- I start with when you're when you're brushing your teeth. Let's just first be aware of we don't have to lean on the sink. We can stand up. You know, and then maybe we work on eventually put a hand on a wall and stand on one foot while you do that. And then can you take the hand away? And so now we have two minutes of hopefully you're spending two minutes brushing your teeth, (laughs) two minutes of exercise, working on being upright, working on balance, just being aware of these things more and starting to shift kind of your daily life moment. Um, Well, I wish we had more time because this has been just wonderful um thank you so so much for joining us um anything else to share Sheila in our last thank
2: you for shining light on what's really important to me and I don't think there's enough light shown on midlife on rehab on self-care and I and I just wish you all well and and taking care of yourselves you're worth it and uh good luck
1: you are worth it your families are worth it you're worth it um you could not make a better investment Um, So, thank you so much for sharing with us, Sheila, and thank you, everyone, for listening in. Uh, Next week, we will have my friend and colleague, Katie Lush, a moving expert, mom, uh, just a general great inspirational person. She's with Lush Living, and we will be talking about, you know, being a mom and staying active and moving and inspiring others. So, listen in. Can't wait to have you back again. Enjoy your weeks. (music)
0: thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Able Active Moms. We hope the moms out there have learned something useful to help them with their own lives. Until we talk again, have a fantastic week.